0: Good morning. Our passage today for the sermon is from Psalm 51. It's a very familiar psalm, a psalm of David. Let's read it. The verses will come up on screen before we begin with the sermon. Psalm 51. And it says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. that I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, a God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise do good to zion in your good pleasure build up the walls of jerusalem then will you delight in right sacrifices in burned offerings and the whole burned offerings then bowls will be offered on your altar let's pray father god we thank you lord for this time for this opportunity that we have to look into your word even though we are separated uh, physically we pray a Lord that together as a community we can understand what it is that you are to speak to us today about repenting over sin, seeking your forgiveness, and using that as a means to praise you and to testify to your grace in the community of your people. We pray a lot that any um, disruptions or um, problems due to the technology uh, with me delivering the sermon due to the awkwardness of the mediums through which we are doing it will be negated by the work of your Spirit in teaching to us the truths of your word. So we ask a lot for your grace and your mercy and your spirit to help guide us as we sit in your presence today. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen. So Psalm 51 is one of the Psalms of Lament. We are beginning this new series on on the Psalms of Lament. And Lament, uh, its dictionary definition is A passionate expression of grief or sorrow now we live in a world where being passionately emotional over something is um, is frowned upon in many cases even if it is not it is more in terms of like trying to get something off of your chest and then sometimes it's it's a bad thing because it might be a sign that you're too self-focused but in the Old Testament you know, the the Jews had a, a fuller appreciation for the breadth of human emotions that arise due to situations in human life. and And that includes emotions of great grief and passionate outpouring of sadness and anguish. So the Old Testament has a lot to say about lament. If you read the books of Job, if you read Lamentations, if you read Ecclesiastes, but especially the book of psalms of the psalms about a third of the psalms are laments about 58 in total about 42 of those 58 are individual laments they're laments of individuals and then the remainder are laments of the community and we don't see that same level of lament in the writings in the new testament but it is still there you know Christians have a lot to learn from the Lament Psalms. It is an, these, these Psalms, these laments, teach us that many things in this life are beyond us and that only God is able to help. So we cry out to Him. In situations where we feel helpless and where we know only God is able to help, we lament to Him. And the best example of this is Jesus Christ. You know, in Hebrews chapter five and verse seven, it says in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Jesus was a man of lament. He sought out, he cried out to God when only God could help. Last week on the occasion of Easter, we saw that one of the last words Jesus uttered before he died on the cross was a lament from Psalm 22. And this lament psalms model for us how to be authentic before God in our times of desperation, to recognize when things are beyond us. But rather than just dissolving into complaint or fear or resignation and leave it at that, it invites us to think about the character of God and the mercy of God and the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that we can approach the throne of grace where we can bring the deepest sorrows of our heart and recognize that God is able and that He's willing to help us. That's why it's important for us as Christians to look at these Psalms of Lament because they model the posture that we are to have when we are desperate and when we need to cry out to God. And of these Lament Psalms, seven of these psalms are called uh, penitential psalms or psalms of penance or repentance. And one of these psalms is Psalm 51. You know Psalm 51 is often called the greatest of all psalms. Someone once called it the psalm of all psalms because it has had an outsized influence on a lot of Christian thinking, especially on the theology of, of justification and atonement when we read through the psalm, I hope you noticed how it uh, progresses uh, you know, from the idea of, of our slavery to sin to the supernatural work of God in atoning for our sin and how that leads to salvation and how that leads to humility but also to the praise of God. So this psalm in its expression of how the people of God should feel when they discover the depth of their sin, and the horror of sin, and the offense it brings to a holy God, and the great grace and mercy that is required from the throne of God. This psalm, it's, this lament, shows us the spirit of brokenheartedness and repentance and sin awareness that is required for us to be restored when we have sinned, to be restored by the grace of God. You know, we lament about many things. We lament about the world. We lament about society. We lament about other people. We complain about these things, but we rarely lament about ourselves. We rarely ask, instead of asking what is wrong with the world or what is wrong with people, we rarely ask what is wrong with me in that I continue to sin. I continue to go against God in my sins even though I have been saved But this psalm shows us what we are to do when the grace of God brings us into those situations where we feel guilty, where we need to repent, where we need to say sorry to God for the sins that we have committed. This lament is is intended to drive us to God who alone can promise, as Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 says, that where sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. You know, when we look at the psalm, you know, the psalms are are very easy to read and understand because they are laid out exactly the way that they should be understood. Like we don't, we can go from verse one to verse nineteen, and that's the intention of the writer of the psalm that we do it in that manner. So we don't have to figure out how to break the psalm uh, too much into you know subpoints and so on and so forth. And if you look at the heading of the psalm which is actually part of the original text it's not you know written there by the writers of of the uh, or the editors of the bible it is part of the the original text it says uh, a psalm of david when nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into bathsheba now many of us know the story of david and bathsheba it's in second samuel chapter 11 and verse 12 i would invite you to read it when you have time after after we disperse for the day, and if you're if you're not familiar with it, but it talks about the great sin of David, uh, you know his abuse of his kingly power in taking advantage of Bathsheba, committing adultery, murdering her husband, and the severe consequences that arise out of that sin. And this psalm is written after the prophet Nathan goes to David, after David tries to hide the sin. Prophet Nathan goes into David in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel and he confronts him with the Word of God. And, and, and David's sin is uncovered. And this psalm is his repentance after Nathan comes into him with the Word of God. But you'll notice that the psalm doesn't say anything about that particular incident at all. And because of that, because of the fact that it is written in a way that it, it, it can be applied to any situation where we need to seek God's forgiveness for sin. The church has used this as a model on how to deal with the weight of sin, how to deal with the guilt of sin, and how to approach the fact that we need to repent and seek forgiveness and restoration from God. You know, Jesus taught us in his prayer that we are to pray daily, forgive us our debts. And this psalm is a model for how the true son and daughter of God, when confronted with the weight of sin, can go to the father and model the humility and repentance that is needed to be confident of his forgiveness. Now I said we will go through the text verse by verse from the beginning, but I felt it was important for us to actually start by looking at verses 10 to 12 because this is the lament, this is the theme, you could say, of the psalm. Verse 10 to 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. You see, this psalm is not just, you know, David's despair over guilt or him feeling bad that, you know, I let myself down. How could I have done this? Me of all people. That is often often how we feel. When when we sin, you know, we have this uh, feeling of self righteousness, as if you know there was some minor flaw in us that was exploited in the sin. But David is not lamenting just merely over guilt, even though that is there. He's lamenting about the fact that, you know, as he says here, he says, "Do not cast me away from your presence, and take not your holy spirit from me," as a result of the sin. You know, when I was uh, in university, we used to sing the song by Keith Green. It's called "Creating Me a Clean Heart," and there was a lot of controversy over that song because it had the exact same verse in it, which says, "Take not your Holy Spirit from me." And there was a lot of debate over whether Christians can sing that, because as Christians, we we just have this binary idea that, you know, um, that the Holy Spirit uh, is the seal of our salvation. So when when David says Take not a Holy Spirit from me. Does that mean that we can lose salvation? And that's not what he's saying here at all. And too often, to be honest, we are just so focused on the fact that will be will we be in heaven when we die that we are not n- nearly as focused on the fact that salvation is not just about you know dying and going to heaven, but it is to have. Redemption and to have a relationship of intimacy with God, to have the the nearness of God, to know the presence of God. And that is what David is lamenting. He's saying, This sin, the weight of the sin, the guilt of the sin, has removed the nearness of God, has removed the presence of God in a way that I can feel that I'm no longer intimate with God. And that's what he's lamenting. And he says, to overcome that God, you need to create in me a clean heart. You know, the word create used here is used only of God. When, when for example, he creates the world. It signifies a supernatural power to do things that are not possible for human beings. Now here, he's, it, he's not asking for God to create him and create in him a new heart. He's saying, use your power to create in me a clean heart. Because I cannot do it, only you can do it. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, that no one but God can create either a new earth or a new heart. Who can remove the blot of sin? Who can remove the stain of guilt from our conscience? Only God can do it. And then he says, uh, renew a right spirit within me. And that, that is more like renew a steadfast spirit within me. He's saying, my spirit, in my spirit, I want to follow you. I want to obey your will. But I'm unable to do that because of the weight of the sin. And he says, I want that sense of steadfastness to be renewed. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. In verse 12, he says, uphold me with a willing spirit. He says, my spirit wants to fight. It wants to fight against sin. But so often I just give up, and I don't want to give up. So he says, God uphold me with a spirit that is willing to fight, with a willing spirit. And most of all, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, the joy that I have from being in your presence, from being in the nearness of God. That is what drives him, or what drives this lament. That's what drives him towards repentance. So that is the theme of the psalm and then if you look at um, an outline for the psalm I would say it is uh, like this in verses 1 to 2 it talks about the character of God in verses 3 to 9 it talks about the confession of David or a model for confession of sins verse 10 to 12 which we already looked at which is the lament and then verse 13 to 19 which is the testimony that arises after David has been repented uh, or David has been granted repentance by God so the character of God in verses 1 to 2 the confession in verses 3 to 9 the lament which we already saw in verses 10 to 12 and then the testimony of praise in verse 13 to 19 so verses 1 to 2 the character of God you notice that even before David begins his confession. He appeals to the character of God. When you want to confess your sins, you have to be aware what is the ground for your confession, what is the ground for your confidence that there is indeed repentance that is available, there is indeed forgiveness that is available for your sins. And that confidence cannot come from our past or from our character or even from the fact that, you know, we are the ones who have failed, but from our knowledge and awareness of who God is. That should be the basis of our confidence. David says, Have mercy according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. He's recalling Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 to 7, which says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness, as steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He's saying, God, this is who I know you as, a covenant-keeping God, who abounds in steadfast love and mercy and faithfulness, who is willing to forgive iniquity and sin and transgression. True repentance can only come when we have an accurate knowledge of who God is and God's promises, His love, you know, Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 talks about the difference between godly grief and worldly grief. It says godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And the difference between the two is that one is godly, it is aware of the character of God and the repentance that is needed in light of God's character and the forgiveness that is available because we know God's character. Whereas worldly grief is just putting ourselves down being disappointed in yourself and trying to stave off to to run away from the consequence of sin without running to the grace of god and appealing for mercy and because david is aware of the great grace of god he's also aware of the enormous gravity of the or the depth of the sin that is now a barrier between him and god that's why he uses words like blot out and wash me or cleanse me. Thoroughly wash me. He says out of your abundant mercy thoroughly wash me so that the stain of sin on my guilty conscience can be removed. He's saying my efforts cannot do it. No worldly effort can do it. Only God can do it. You see the same idea in, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, where it says, though you wash yourselves with lye, or like with, it's, it's a kind of alkaline cleaning agent, and use much soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord God. God's abundant mercy is needed to wash away the blot of this guilty, sin-stained, dirty conscience. And that same idea is available to us as Christians in the New Testament. This is what 1 John verse 1 and verse seven to 9, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 to 9 says. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you are aware of your sin and the lack of the presence of God that you enjoyed before sin came or the guilt of sin came in as a barrier, you run towards the assurance of our faithful covenant-keeping Savior. And that assurance is what should lead us to confess our sins. So we we looked at uh, the character of God in verse 1 and 2. Then we look at the confession. This is verses 3 to 9. Due to the lack of time, I'm not going to read the entire passage again, but let me point out uh, the main ideas. In verse 3, it says, uh, My sin is ever before me, I know my transgressions. His awareness of his sin is overwhelming, all-consuming. He needs to get the weight off his chest. And that is driving him towards confession and seeking forgiveness. See, one aspect of the horror of sin that we often downplay is the psychological impact of a guilty conscience, how that impacts um, our thinking, our relationships, how we interact with other people. Even private sins influence in in a negative way how we deal with God and how we deal with our people, let alone public sins. And here he says, my sin is ever before me. He's reminded of the fact that he has sinned but through many markers in his life. He looks at, at Bathsheba who is pregnant. He looks at the fact that uh, you know, Uriah, who was her husband, who was a commander in his army, is no more. And that leads uh, to tensions between him and his army. Like There's so much markers of his sin that, that he cannot run away from the weight of his sin. But more than that, in verse 4 is the awareness of how his sin has offended God. He says, against you, you only have I, sinned, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You know, that phrasing, what is evil in your sight, comes from Second Samuel chapter 12 and verse 9. Because Nathan went into him and said, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? So when he was confronted with the word of God, David realized that, you know, it's not that he, he only sinned against God. Obviously not. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against many other people. But his primary offense was against God. All sins are against God. You know, some sins are against people. But all sins, including our private sins, are against God. And so the primary person who is offended when we sin is God. And when we do not have that awareness of sin, when we do not have that recognition that we, when we sin we offend God and we continue maybe sometimes in a pattern of sin, it often is a sign like it was in David's life that he was not confronted with the Word of God, that we are not being confronted with the Word of God. That means that we are not intimate with the Lord. We are not um, keeping up with being in the Word. We are not being held accountable by the people of God, who are able to confront us with the Word of God, like Nathan confronted David, because if we are in the Word of God, and we are continuing in a pattern of sin, then we will be like David, and we will be brought to our knees with the awareness of the weight of sin, and the awareness that it is God whom we are offending with our sin. In verse four, he goes on to say that God will be justified in His words and blameless in His judgment. He's saying that my the. The the offense that I have committed is so great that though I appeal to you for mercy even if you were to reject me you would be justified. That is God is righteous in his judgments even if that judgment means that he will not extend mercy to me. Such is the great offense of the sins that I have committed. And verse 5 he says lest I think that this sin is just a one-off failing He's saying, this is my character. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity from the earliest days of my life. When I, even to the point of conception, every inclination of my heart, of my innermost being is towards sin. My character, um, you know, is influenced by sin in such a way that this one sin that I'm seeking forgiveness for is just a symptom of the fact that I'm a sinner. And that's important for us to realize, lest we get caught up in self-righteousness. If we think that, you know, this is just a personal failing that led us to sin. No, it's, 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 it's in our nature. So that if we have to repent and if we have to have the strength to, to do better, it needs the work of God within us. Verse 6, he says, you know, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. You know, God's desire is that where in our innermost spirit we are inclined towards sin, it should be filled with truth from the word of God and wisdom from the word of God. But it is also a way for David to say, I knew your truth. I knew your wisdom. You gave me all these things and yet still I sinned. You know, that echoes kind of what... Um, Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. It kind of increases, you know, the the offense in the sense that we knew what was um, wrong and yet we still did it. And so David's appeal is, God, I cannot change myself. I need you to do it. I need you to extend grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I need you to create in me a clean heart and give me a steadfast spirit and uphold uh, uphold in me a willing spirit to fight sin and to be restored on the path of righteousness. And that's why we see in verse 7 uh, he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, hyssop was used in the Old Testament to take the blood of of, of sacrifice and sprinkle it on items that were defiled. It's speaking to the atonement that is needed for our sins that cannot come from us. You know, the Bible says that without the remission of sins, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. So it, it points us towards the atonement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the verse that we read in 1st John, without the shedding of blood there can be no forgiveness. But in God's atonement, when God forgives us, when God you know, uh, accepts our repentant broken heart and, and grants us forgiveness, He says, I shall be clean. I shall be whiter than snow. This guilty stained garment, this conscience shall be cleaned in such a way that it's as if you know, like I am better than before, whiter than snow. And only the, the, the mercy and the grace and the atonement of God can do that. You know, in ancient Rome, it is said that there was a shortage of material to write books on. And so they used this material called vellum, um, which was used to, to write books. and they would take when, when Christianity became popular, they would take these old books which are filled with pornographic material and lewd material of all kinds. and 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 copyists would take vellum and then they would wipe out whatever was there before all the dirty pictures and all the pornographic material and they would write christian books on it like you know the, the books of augustine like the city of god or the confessions of augustine and they would give that out to christians and they would look at these books and they would have no awareness of the fact that you know in in a past life these books were filled with the dirtiest things imaginable. Instead, now they were filled with scriptural God-honoring truth. And that is the same way in which, um, uh, you know, David says, your atonement, your forgiveness can create in me a clean heart, can blot out all my iniquities, can, can remove from me the awareness of this guilt of sin that prevents me from entering into your presence. Only God can do that. So cast your, you know, the weight of your sin upon His throne of grace. Seek forgiveness in keeping with His promise that He is willing to forgive. That He who, uh, you know, Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who made atonement for us through His blood, is willing to extend forgiveness to us even today for our sins past, present, and future. We throw upon um, we throw ourselves upon His mercy, but then the, the 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 forgiveness that God grants is as if you know those books, which were wiped clean, and renewed and restored in a way, that that makes um, makes our experience so much more richer. Our experience of the presence of God, of the nearness of God, and that is what David wants, and so that experience of God's great forgiveness God's supernatural forgiveness is what leads him to testimony in verses 13 to 19 you know the the result of godly repentance is renewal it's a commitment to steadfastness in following the will of God not quitting the fight against sin not committing the same sin over and over again but it is more than that when you're aware of the greatness of God's mercy and forgiveness you should not keep it to yourself there needs to be testimony, in the community of God's people. And that is what these verses in 13 to 19 tell us. You know, our testimony should include the awareness that God has not judged me as I deserve. It talks about blood guiltiness in verse 14. And we should be proclaiming that I am here today because he's righteous, and he was righteous both in covering my sin with the shedding of innocent blood and forgiving my sin, and he has removed its blot from me because of his mercy extended to me in faithfulness. But his uh, and our testimony should also involve in you know, a vocal recounting of the praises of God we see in verse 15. O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Our, may maybe not be shy to testify when, when God has forgiven us, when we have battled with sin. When we have battled with the guilt of sin, we have come to God with a broken spirit and He has forgiven us. And He's given us a clean heart, a renewed spirit. May we not be shy to testify about that. May our testimonials not be just about answered prayers for jobs and other things, but also about the instances when God has forgiven us and has renewed our spirit within us. That might just be what someone else in your community needs to have maybe have their conscience pricked. to maybe have them run to God for repentance and forgiveness. And another aspect of that testimony is in verse 13. It says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Now that you have gone through this experience of having committed grievous sin and having forgiven to God, you owe it to God's people to testify to the fact that what I did was a great sin. Do not do that. Instead, follow the paths of righteousness. But in case that you have fallen, there is mercy at the, at the throne of God. Our testimony should, should make other people aware of the horror and the grievous nature of sin. And if they have fallen, give them confidence that there is mercy that is available if they repent and come before God with a broken heart and spirit and throw, himself, throw ourselves at His mercy. You know, it's verse 16 and 17. It talks about how um, God does not delight in sacrifice unless it is uh, it comes from a place of brokenness of spirit, a humility of heart. You know, too often we we make this uh, division between um, being broken and offering sacrifice, and that is not what the idea is here. What it's saying here is that you know the 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 things of God that are given to us as reminders of His covenant, like the Lord's Supper, for example, you have to do it in the right manner, in the, in, with the humble spirit, so that if there is sin that needs to be, um, issue of sin that needs to be resolved and reconciled, you need to do that before you partake of the elements that God has given us for remembrance. That is why Jesus says, you know, in Matthew chapter, uh, to find the reference here, Matthew chapter 5, He says, you know, if you come to the altar and you have an issue to resolve with your brother, do that. And then come to the altar. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you know, Paul says, you have issues in the church, you reconcile with each other, show your love for each other before you partake of the Lord's Supper. You know, uh, the brokenness of spirit is needed for us to is to do the things that God has commanded us to do in the proper way. It is not an excuse for us to stay away from those things. It is not an excuse for us to, um, you know, say, I will not take partake of the Lord's Supper because I have sinned or because I have something against my brother or sister. Instead, it should drive us towards repentance and reconciliation. That's what this passage is telling us. That God wants sacrifices from those people who are broken and who are humble and who are fully reconciled to Him and to each other. And verse 18 and 19 reminds us that this is not just the lament of an individual with uh, with regards to sin. You know, 18 and 19 talks about the community as a whole, the community of Zion. It says God's community is built up of people who recognize that they are sinners that they are in need of grace, and that they are often you know, trying to hide from God in their patterns of sin. But when confronted with the Word of God, when confronted by the accountability that comes from being in the community of God, they are aware of the character of God. They are able to, to confess before God wholeheartedly, without pretense, without making any uh, excuses. And then, finding, in finding that forgiveness, they are restored, they are renewed, their spirit is renewed, they have a new awareness of the presence of God. And then they testify to the glories and grace of God in the community. Such a community is the community that God desires His people to be in. You know, we are going to sing the song, it's called, His Mercies Are More. And that, so encapsulates some of the things that we saw in the psalm today. I would invite you to uh, sing along if you know it or learn it, but definitely let's take to heart the lesson of the psalm. It's model of how we have to lament over unresolved sin, how we have to appeal to the character of God, how we have to confess to God wholeheartedly, and how once we have receive forgiveness how we are to testify it testify to that in the community of God's people may that be a model for us as we go ahead with our Christian life let's pray father God we thank you for your word we thank you for the blessing it is to us we recognize a lot in David's example even uh, examples in our own lives a lot of how so often sin removes us uh, from that feeling of intimacy and and the presence that we have of you. We ask, O Lord, that we may follow the example of David in seeking forgiveness that arises out of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. May, O Lord, our our grief over sin lead to repentance, lead to renewal, and lead to praise in your community. May your name alone be glorified. Amen.